And that's what we're going to talk about today. We're talking about ministry. And let's have a word of prayer and then we'll read our scripture and get into it. Father, we thank you so much. Lord, when we consider ourselves, when we look hard, we can wonder what on earth, why on earth you would want to use us and your ministry plan. Seems like it'd be easier for you just to do it. But you have chosen to work through us. And so you have called us to be at the work of sharing Jesus Christ with others. Father, open our hearts and minds today as we look at your scripture, that we may hear your voice, that we may hear what you're speaking to each one of us individually, and that we may respond as you lead. It is because of Jesus Christ, and in his name we pray. Amen. We're going to start in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Read along with me. It was he who gave some to be apostles, he of course being God, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 28. And in the church God has appointed first of all apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and then workers of miracle, also those having gifts of healing, those able to help others, those with gifts of administration, and those with speaking in a different kind of tongues. Last week we talked about motivational gifts. We, we, we have talked the last couple of Sundays that these gifts are given by God to each believer when they accept Jesus Christ. It is an endowment, an enablement that he puts within you as he comes to live within you so that in working through your gift you are able to do what he has called each one of us we all have one call. That call is to proclaim Jesus Christ. That is what he calls upon us Christians to do. But we have different ways of doing that, different personalities. And God understands that and he gives each one of us a specific gift. And when we work within that gift, we have the maximum of effectiveness. And so we have been working to explore with those gifts. Last week we talked about the motivational gift, that which drives us, that which uh, is, con uh, is a part of how we do things, how we live for God. This week we're talking about the ministerial gifts, and there are ten of them, and they were listed in these scriptures we just read. And of course you saw that some were repeated, but here are those ten gifts, the one, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, worker of miracles, healing, helping, administration, and gift of diverse tongues. These are ways to minister to other people. And God gives these as well. To break these down, an apostle through the simple Greek just means one who is sent from. The 
first apostles were the 12 disciples. They were the, the apostles, capital T. And the criteria for being one of those apostles was one who had walked with Jesus Christ, who had had that personal relationship. And Paul was the, considered an apostle. He considered himself an apostle, but that was a controversy during his time. Some people say that he wasn't an apostle because he wasn't one of Jesus' disciples. Paul asserted that he was because Jesus had came and he had that personal encounter on his way to Damascus where God, Jesus, spoke to him directly, asked him, why are you persecuting me? Jesus talking. And Saul says, well, who are you? And that's when Jesus reveals himself. So Paul took that personal encounter to consider that he had, though it was brief, though it was quick, a walk with God, a walk with Jesus, thus enabling him to be considered an apostle. So an apostle in that early New Testament time was one who had actually walked and studied with Jesus and then began to proclaim his message. Today, as we take an extension of that, an apostle would be akin to a missionary, one that is sent out from a church to go to another place, international or national. We have home missionaries that work here in the United States, but they are one who is sent out from the body of Christ to minister to some group. And so that's an apostle. So while we cannot be an apostle in the, in the circle of Matthew and Paul and Philip and those, we can be an apostle if we are called to a missionary position. Uh, Sue shared back in December about her parents who answered that call and went to Africa, to East Africa, Tanzania, and then Kenya, and they served their career 30 years in proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ there in Kenya, establishing churches. They were Southern Baptist missionaries. The prophet here, again, is not one who foretells the future, but one who proclaims the truth. They are very centered on the truth. They can be very frustrating to those of us who don't have the gift of prophecy because they're very, uh, very dogmatic about what the scripture says and that we need to speak what the scripture says and I guess uh, I've found that applies to me I think I do have that gift I know I do and I'll tell you a really example I was listening to a radio broadcast J. Vernon McGee and he made a comment he he was talking about Hannah or he was talking about Eli I'm sorry the prophet that Hannah interacted with and saying his wife must not have been a very good mother because the children, uh, Hophni and Phinehas, were gluttons. They were uh, abusers of people. They took advantage. And so he was laying it on her. Well, I wrote them a letter because the scripture does not tell us anything about Eli's wife. For all we know, she died in childbirth. She wasn't around. We don't know and so I took issue with them saying this about her when it, there was nothing in Scripture to proclaim that. Uh, so they sent me a nice letter, thanked me for my comments, 
and said, that was very Berean of me. I had no idea what that meant. I asked my pastor at the time, and he said, yes, he said the Bereans were known back in New Testament time for being very detailed and exacting about what the Scripture said. So that was kind of a sideways compliment here of saying I was very Berean. But a prophet is that way. It is important to a prophet that the Word of God be correctly and exactly proclaimed and not take liberties with what it means. An evangelist is one we can understand well. It's a person who goes out proclaiming the good news. They are a messenger of good when you break the Greek down. And the good is the gospel of Jesus Christ. A pastor, one who protects and directs. The best picture of that is a shepherd. That's where the Greek uh, word comes from, poimen. And if you think about a shepherd, they do protect and direct. They make sure that their sheep are protected. They pin them in to a pen at night. A good shepherd would sleep in the opening of the pen so that if a wolf or some other creature came around, they would have to go through them to get to the sheep. So they very actively protected. We have the parable of the shepherd going out. He had one lost sheep and he finds it uh, in distress and he takes, puts it on his shoulder and brings it back to the flock. They provide the food. They take them. Psalm 23, you lead me beside still waters, you restoreth my soul. We have that picture of the shepherd providing their day-to-day needs and seeing that they have good grass, good clean water, so that they can be nourished and grow. And then they also make sure uh, thou leadest me into the paths of righteousness. A shepherd leads his flock to where they need to be, to be Uh, safe and to be fed and so that's a pastor then a teacher one who instructs and trains we talked about the motivational gift of teaching there is that job that ministry of being a teacher a Sunday school teacher a team kid teacher uh, any number of ways one can teach then we go on to the next doesn't want to go on for me can you do it there Drew I don't know what Going on, the second five gets into some that there may be little more controversy about worker of power. The, the word there in the Greek is dumanis. Dumanis is a word that then gets anglicized into dynamite, meaning power. Uh, a worker of power is one that God uses to accomplish his will in a magnificent way. Uh, one healer, one who makes whole, A healer helps body, soul, and spirit. They're not necessarily Ernest Angley that slaps you on the forehead. They can be a good friend that just helps you when you're hurting inside to have your emotions healed, your hurt feelings salved. And so a healer helps in those kind of ways and they have a special way in order to help those around them. And then one uh, helper is one who supports leaders. They are in through the act of service. They carry out uh, different uh, functions that a leader needs in order to get the total job done. Administrator uh, is another word there that is one who is working 
to coordinate the activities of everyone. If we're not careful, we can be a herd of cats just flying off in all different kinds of directions, being scattered, but it, we get our most effective work done when we're moving towards a common goal. And in the church, that common goal is the mission of Jesus Christ, preaching Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. An administrator helps make sure that we're coordinated and we're working in conjunction with each other and not scattering resources, not dispersing energy unnecessarily, but moving in a cohesive direction. And then finally in tongues, one who speaks in diverse tongues. And there are four sets of tongues in the uh, New Testament as we read. Uh, I'm not going to do a, may do a sermon later on those, but just really quickly, there is the tongue of being able to speak a foreign language. Uh, and that's a learned process. When Sue's parents went to Kenya, they had to learn Swahili and they talked to the natives in Swahili. And so when a missionary goes into that area, they have to do that. So that's a learned tongue. And then there is a spiritual tongue that it, Paul talks about in the Bible where one communicates with God and some call it a heavenly language. Then there's another one that is gibberish. It's just a random noise. It, it didn't, doesn't really say anything, doesn't mean anything to anybody. And so these are some of the tongues. And let me just put in here parenthetically, there are those who dismiss these gifts here, especially the gift of tongues. Your pastor does not. And I will tell you why one of them was there in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13. And we're going to talk about it a little more later, but basically it says that we are to use these ministerial gifts until we are all made perfect. Well, when are we going to be perfect? When we're called home to heaven, right? We're not going to be perfect here on earth. And so these gifts are to be used uh, until Christ calls us home. And then the other passage that I go by is at the end of 1 Corinthians 13, known as the love chapter. At the end, Paul writes, For now we see through a glass darkly, then we shall see face to face. Now we know in part, then we shall know fully. So a time is coming of completion. That completion comes when this body uh, gives up its breath and we go home to be with the Lord. Or as we sang about in that first song, days of Elijah is going to be when the Lord appears in the eastern sky and moves from the east to the west with thunder and trumpet call and rises, raises us all up in what we call the rapture, to be called away. So that's when we're going to be perfect, and that's when I believe these gifts will cease. Uh, that's the teaching, I believe, is very apparent there. Now, how much on these ten different ministerial gifts God uses at any one time is up to Him. Now, in our country, with people who speak, who can uh, learn languages, who can communicate, the, the gift of tongues, as we saw in the first part of Acts, is not as necessary as it was then to get the gospel going. On that day of Pentecost, it says, tongues of flame came down and landed upon them, and they were able to speak 
in languages that the other people could hear. They didn't have time to learn the other people's language, and they didn't have the teachers, but God enabled them with that ability to preach so that those of other nationalities who were there at, in, uh, in uh, Jerusalem at that time could hear and understand what was being preached. And so God, in His wisdom, distributes these as He needs everything from being a, an apostle, a missionary, to being a teacher, to having the gift of healing. God chooses when and to whom He's going to give that. And He knows the need right now. So that is the gifts of ministry and a brief understanding of just what they they mean so I want some clarifications as we go on the motivational gift that we talked about last week um, and uh, I'll let you watch the video refer to those there were seven of them that is a permanent fixture of part of your spirit and soul when God gives you the gift of teaching you have the gift of teaching until He calls you home. If He gives you the gift of giving, you have the gift of giving until He calls you home. As you mature as a Christian, He may give you more of the different gifts to make you more effective, but your initial motivational gift stays permanent. It does not change. However, your ministerial gift is given for a specific time and function, and it may change. God may use you at a specific time to be a teacher, to teach others how to know the Word of God, how to know God, how to study the Scripture. Or He may give you the gift of healing so that you can help those who are hurting and, so, and, and try to heal their spirit, their soul, and perhaps even the touch of healing. I, I believe in healing today. It, it, uh, we're going to get into it in the next one where we talk about manifestations. Everything is corrupted and abused. There are those who claim to have the gift of healing who are charlatans, who are uh, doing it to get attention, to get money. And that, of course, is wrong. But I believe God does give the gift of healing to where we can pray, we can touch, and God will work through that. It is not the individual that is exerting any power. They are merely a conduit for God's power to that person. And if you listen to my prayer at the very opening, as I spoke about those who were not in this mist, who were hurting, sick, that God would lift our prayers to them, and communicate to them, I believe, very definitely in that. All of us in here who are believers of Jesus Christ have the Holy Spirit living within us. And that connects us through God. And God can take our collective uh, thoughts, our collective prayers, and He can send them through the Holy Spirit to another believer. There's that connection. So it's not that mysterious. It's not that science fiction thing. Because God is in every place, all the time, everywhere, present, we Christians are all connected through the Holy Spirit.
And so he can work, and that's one way that he can let us know of a need that someone has, and he doesn't necessarily say, Wes, send, send this to this person, but there's an impression, and I just do something, and I, I sense that that person needs it. And very often the testimony comes back that right in the nick of time, that gift or ability or, or event came in their lives. Well, it's not mumbo-jumbo. It's the Holy Spirit talking to two believers about a situation, impressing one of the need of another. It's very understandable, very logical, and I get distressed with those who want to say it doesn't exist anymore. I believe that's discounting the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of God. So in your ministerial gift, you are given a place of service, and it can be for a time, it may be for a long time, maybe for a short time. It comes and goes, but it is a, a uh, task, a, a ministry for you to use your motivational gift uh, in order to affect the work of Jesus Christ. Here's some assurances about who you are. This is what the Lord says, He who made you formed you in the womb. You were not an accident. You were created very uniquely by God of who you are. Now, as life can corrupt that, sin can corrupt that, and it is only as we believe this truth and we seek God's face that we are restored to the creature, the person that He designed in the womb. This is a really important concept and it's one that really needs to be taught today to our young people because they are being told uh, you, are, you are not a special uh, creation, you are just a, a zygote that comes together accidentally that turns into a person uh, that is just essentially a higher order animal and that we all end, we die, we turn to dust, it's over. That is contrary to Scripture, and it's heresy because the Bible teaches us, God says He created each one of you, He designed each one of you. You are a special creation of the Creator. The Creator who formed the earth and the stars and the planets, who set this world in motion, who gives us water and grass, and all the beautiful flowers and trees, this creative creator created you. The supreme being created you, and you are a special creature, and you need to understand that. There are things he endowed us humans with that the angels cannot know. Angels are a whole different other creation. And there are uh, uh, endowments that we humans have that animals don't have. We are a unique creation under God designed for fellowship with Him. And if we can embrace that and appreciate it, get over that we're overweight, that we don't have like the way our face is, all these kind of things, and embrace the person God created, it can give us that assurance. And there's another one here. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer who formed you in the womb. This is Isaiah. Again, a repetition. Isaiah is speaking this now. And finally, 
the psalmist says, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. It is a monumental place in our life when we can come to that understanding and get over our low self-esteem, get over our criticism of ourselves, how we look, how we're shaped, and be able to say to God, you are a worker of good and wonderful, and you made me fearfully and wonderfully. And fearfully is a good term here in this case. God, uh, there's an there's a old, um, she's gone now, uh, storyteller back uh, in the past, Bess, Bessie Smith, I believe was her name. And she would say, God don't make no mistakes. Bad grammar, but absolute truth. And so if we embrace that, we have that assurance that we are a special creation designed by God for the, and, and designed to have fellowship with Him and to be, a, be used in service to Him. And there is no greater calling than to be used and to work for the glory of God. So take that assurance. There are these affirmations that God will work within you. Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. Call to me. Reach out. Ask. Don't expect the answer right then. Don't expect that it's going to get written down in front of you. Don't think it's going to be a voice. Wes, blah, 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 blah. But God will answer. He will impress. He will speak. And part of what controls your hearing that is that term I used last week of quenching the Spirit. If you are quenching the Holy Spirit in your life, you are silencing Him so that you cannot hear what He is saying to you. But God says, call to me. And then in Malachi, God challenges. He says, test me in this. Listen, you're not going to Take God off his throne because you're going to challenge what he has said is truth. He knows he's going to accomplish what he said he will do. So he says, test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and so much blessing that there will not be room to store it. Wouldn't that be great to enjoy blessings like that? And a picture that uh, comes from that day as ladies used to go to the market as they go to the market now. But back then, sometimes to get grain, they'd have a big apron on. And whenever they went to get the grain, they would grab the corners and hold it up and make kind of a bucket out of it, something to hold it. And the vendor would then pour the grain in. And the picture here is not that it's just partially full, but it is so full that it's running over and spilling out. The psalmist said, my cup runneth over. God is wanting to do these things in your life and the only reason it's not happening is because we are quenching the Spirit and not allowing Him to work within us. God is truth. Finally, what we need to remember is this point. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? That right now is enough, that's enough to chew on for a long time. The Holy Spirit lives within me. 
That means the Holy Spirit goes where I go. The Holy Spirit sees what I see, hears what I hear, and is present everything. No wonder we want to deny that truth. Because all of us can think about places we've been and we don't want the Holy Spirit. We don't want God there with us. But we can't get away from that. You are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. That's hard for us to get over today. Hard for us to get over. You were bought at a price. What was that price? The price was Jesus Christ's death on the cross. It was Him going through the beatings. It was Him having the nails driven through His wrist and His feet hung on a cross, dropped in a hole, ripping Himself apart. You were bought with a very expensive price. The Son of God suffering and dying for you so that He could cover your sins. So what should you do after all that? Understanding that, therefore, honor God with your bodies. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God. So these are truths of the Bible. And we need to get back to believing all that it teaches. We are coming to a time today, again, where we are repeatedly told there is no code, there is no truth. Truth is circumstantial. Truth it depends on the, it's situational. It depends on the situation you're in. And that is dangerous and it is causing a lot of the problems we have today because there is a truth. We have to glean it. We disagree with what it says, but as we each individually work to understand what this truth is, we understand the mind of God and we can know what He is saying to us today and what He would have us to do. God is truth, in Him is no darkness. He is light. There is no shadow within God. And so the, the, uh, the discrepancy comes from our understanding, our knowledge of Him, our time with Him. I relate it often to uh, Sue and I in our marriage. We've got 47 and a half years. We've spent a lot of time together. We've gone out to eat a lot. We've traveled places. And there are places we can go or, 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 or things we can do. And I don't exclude Sue, but I can, I can order for her. I know after myriads of experiences, I know what she's going to want to drink. She orders it every time. Uh, and it's a Sprite, by the way. And then I know the things she wants to eat. And she knows mine. And she can know to get me a sweet iced tea. And those are very simple examples. But you have that knowledge of each other, of those who have been close to you. Well, when we, and when we worship God, when we focus on Him, when we get to know Him, the mind of God becomes second nature to us. When my children were growing up, my daughter tells me that her friends would say, ask your dad if we can do so-and-so. She said, I'm not going to do it. Well, why? Because they'll say no. Well, just ask him. No, he's going to say no. And so she knew her dad. And they got very frustrated because they also learned that when they went to mom, said, mom, can I do this? No. 
And they'd go to dad, dad, can I do this? No, we agreed. We had that commonality. And so they knew where we stood, what we wanted for them. They could go against it because they had the capacity to disobey. And they did, they weren't perfect, but they knew what we wanted. We can know the mind of God if we will study Him and get to know Him, spend time with Him, and seek to know Him. God is wanting to speak to you. He's wanting you to grow in faith. He's wanting you to know Him deeper and better. He's wanting to talk to you about the deep issues in your life. But you have to believe. For it's impossible without faith to please God for anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. God is, uh, is wanting to talk to you, is willing to talk to you, is waiting to talk to you. He's not the one who has moved or has changed. He's waiting on us. And so to recap a little bit last week, I share that there are three classes of gifts. Last week we talked about the motivation, what drives you to do what you do. This week we're talking about, and I outlined those ministry gifts of where you use your gift. Next week we'll talk about the manifestation of the gift. In other words, what occurs when we work within our gift in the ministry God gives us, what happens afterwards. So some closing thoughts. You've seen me. This is important, though, and I want you to get it in. There's a minimum of weariness and a maximum of effectiveness when we work within the gift God gave us. How many here have experienced weariness? Come on now, let me see. You're just weary. It's different than tired. How many like being weary? Uh-uh. How many of you, when you do something, like to be effective? You like to know that what you do makes a difference. How many want that? Yeah. Well, this is it. There's a minimum of weariness. Doesn't go away. We're on this earth. It ain't going away till we're not on this earth. There's a maximum of effectiveness. What you do matters when you will work through the gifts and power God gives you. Not rocket science. I have a heavenly Father. He is supreme. He created the universe. He created me. He knows me. He knit me in the womb is the King James Version. And He has endowed me with an ability, a drive, and He has given me uh, something to do, a ministry. And when I work in that channel, it's just natural that the result is going to be the result He desires. It gets messed up when Wes gets involved and when Wes tries to control things and make the decisions. But as I work through him, through my gift, then there's a minimum of weariness, a maximum of effectiveness. Some other thoughts. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commands. We overlook that one sometimes too. And that's where I ask that question, you believe in God, do you believe God? Do you believe that He's serious about what He says for us to do? There's a difference in believing in God, believing God and acting upon it. Then again, I repeated myself, 
where Jesus says, test me, try me, see if I won't pour open the floodgates of heaven. Wouldn't we all like to see that? Wouldn't we all like to see this, this altar full of people coming to know Christ? Wouldn't we like to see young people living for Christ, turning their lives around, rejecting the junk of this world, and out there sharing the faith, helping others? Sure we would. That's the floodgates of heaven. And God says, try me out. See if I won't do that. Then finally, Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where's your treasure? Is it in the pleasures of this world? Is it in having the fine car, the fine house, the right friends, the right country clubs, the right places to be a part of? Those are all good, and they're not necessarily evil. But are they prominent in your life over Jesus Christ? Do they take greater control and effect on your life or is Jesus Christ prominent? That's the difference. None of those things I mentioned are bad things unless they stand in the way of Jesus Christ. That's when it becomes a problem. That's when it is our treasure, when we're working for the comfort, the pleasures of this world, even in worship when we come in and insist on things being our way, but not being open to what the Holy Spirit's doing, being concerned that other people's lives are touched for God, that other people are coming to know God, that's when it gets in the way. If we make His mission preeminent in our life, which is that people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, and then grow. Remember Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Making them disciples, baptizing them, teaching them all things about the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost. We don't stop at salvation. We teach and learn. These are the thoughts that I leave with you today on the ministerial gifts. And I hope that it is piquing your interest more and more. Uh, this week I ordered and received a test for the spiritual gifts. I'm evaluating it. Uh, if I determine that it is uh, a good tool, then I will get enough for each of you to have one that you can take this test. It's not a wrong answer or a right answer. It's who you are. And it'll help point out your spiritual gift. It'll help you discover it so that you can then focus on it so that you can then use that in your ministry to be the most effective and to be the less, least weary. Let's stand as we pray and close. Our precious Heavenly Father, I thank you so much, Lord, for your word. I thank you for your teaching. Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit because if it were not for him, all of this would be gibberish to us. And maybe, Lord, there's someone here that is listening to what I'm sharing from your word, and, there, and it makes no sense. It's just not registering. Uh, Lord, you know that it may be that they don't know you as their Lord and Savior. Father, I know that that's prominent, preeminent upon your heart, and so, Lord, I pray that you would impress upon each and every one here that they have 
this issue settled, that they have peace with you through accepting Jesus Christ as their Savior, recognizing that he died on the cross with their sins, rose again, so that they might have eternal life. And Lord, if any of us can be instrumental in that process, please use us. Lord, I know that there are Christians who through troubles in their lives, through time, through doubt, things have just kind of gotten calloused over. They're not hearing you very clearly. uh, The world is taking prominence in their hearing and their thought process. And I just ask that you would take the scales off their eyes, their figurative eyes, that you would uh, free their heart to hear you so that they would know what is truth and then respond to it. Father, work in a mighty, powerful way. You have called this body, you have called these here to serve you, to to worship you and to minister in your name. And you have promised that as we yield to you, as we follow you, that you are open and pour out the storehouses of heaven. I'd like to see that, Lord. I'd like to experience it. Help me, Father, in my unbelief. Help each one here. to to open themselves up to you, to hear that still, small voice, and to respond in the way you're calling. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, and it's in his name we pray. Amen.